Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 92 of the New Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercogliano of the USA Today Network, and whew, what a week it has been since we last spoke. The New York Rangers were, quite frankly, on the verge of crisis. We'll dive much deeper into that, I'm sure, over the course of this episode. But they were finally able to exhale, at least temporarily, following Monday's 6-4 win over the St. Louis Blues. They really, really needed that. I cannot stress that enough. The, the team had been on the, on this really poor streak. We're going to get into all of that. I, I do want to make sure, though, before I forget, because sometimes I get too excited and then I forget to mention who the guest is. This week, we're going to have Johnny Lazarus, who does a whole bunch of stuff. I'll have to have Johnny remind us of, of everything that he does. But I, Bleacher Report, Action Network. I know he's been on the NHL YouTube channel, I believe. He has his own Rangers podcast. He's also a huge Rangers fan. So we're going to have a chat with Johnny soon, maybe try to get the pulse of the fan base right now, and that will be shortly, but we've got a lot to talk about first. So let's start by setting the scene at Madison Square Garden on Monday night. I'm recording this on Tuesday, shortly before my flight to Vegas. The Rangers are taking on the Golden Knights on Wednesday, but Monday they were hosting the Blues They entered that game. I mentioned they've been on a bad stretch. They entered that game having lost five of their previous six, 10 of their previous 15, and 15 of 26 overall. So the situation for a team that we all know entered the season with very high hopes was devolving and quickly. We've passed the quarter point of the season. We're coming up on the one-third point of the season And the Rangers are sitting on the outside of the Eastern Conference playoff picture and, quite frankly, not playing very well. So, while all this is going on, repeatedly now, we've heard head coach Gerard Gallant ask the team for more urgency. As he said prior to the game on Monday, he wanted to see more jam. I got a little bit of a kick out of that one, but more jam is what he asked for, and you know what he means. He means energy, he means enthusiasm, he means effort. So he's asked for that repeatedly now, and the Rangers have not been showing enough of it for weeks. Their own captain, Jacob Truba, called them out in that regard after the weekend loss on Saturday. Truba has had quite a lot of ups and downs himself recently. But they go into this game against St. Louis, and and you feel like with their backs against the wall— They've lost to some really crummy teams recently. They lost to Chicago on Saturday. They lost to Ottawa on Friday. You felt like they had to come out flying, and they didn't. They weren't showing enough of that jam for the first two periods. They were outshot in those two periods, 22-12. to As far as high danger chances, if you look at those numbers, they were down 12-2. to They were not generating enough quality chances, and the defense was really bad. They had a rough night. Not just the defensemen. But I thought the Rangers were weak on their back checks. I thought the forecheck was extremely limited. It, it was definitely a tough night for the top pair of Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren. You don't want to come down too hard on them because we've talked about this before. They're one of the only bright spots for this team so far this season. But they were on the ice for all three even strength goals against, against the Blues on Monday. So they definitely had some missteps as well. 
And it just felt like things were getting ugly. The fans at MSG booed the Rangers off the ice at the end of the second period. They were only down by one goal. It was four to three. But again, you just didn't feel like there that energy, that urgency was there for the team. And they had a lead on three separate occasions and they kept giving it up. And then St. Louis gets that goal from Ryan O'Reilly later in the second period. And, and they go into the third leading four to three. So you're feeling like, wow, this is not a good situation for the Rangers right now. But then at the 11th hour, the entire outlook, at least for one night, the entire outlook changed. I want to I wanna go back now and preface this a little bit with, with how Monday began. The Rangers typically don't do morning skates anymore. It's become sort of a thing of the past for them, really for home games. I know the players like it more when they don't have to get up and go to the rink and they can just get to the arena, especially the guys that live in the city, really enjoy not having to come up to the Westchester suburbs and then get back into the city for the game. So they don't really do that unless they didn't practice the day before. And because they played back-to-back games on Friday and Saturday, the Rangers had Sunday off. So therefore, Monday, they were kind of coming in cold and they did have a rare morning skate. And the conversations both in the locker room that day, and these conversations have been building for a while. I've spoken to several different guys, I would say, especially the young players who have notably been struggling in the last few weeks. I mean, the whole team has been struggling, but you felt like you were especially seeing some slumping from guys like Alexi Lafreniere and Capo Caco. So kind of getting a pulse for the locker room after that skate and then going in to talk to Gallant pregame and... You know, it was an interesting exchange. There have been some interesting exchanges with him recently. We talked last week about a lot of the deflecting that he's been doing, but he's been a little bit more subdued, I would say, in the last week. Not getting quite as defensive, not pushing back quite as hard because it's hard to defend the way that this team has been playing. And and him and I had a little bit of an exchange where I was starting to get curious, especially when you look at the numbers, but the eye test tells you the same thing. The way that the Rangers were playing in the first month of the season was much better than they've been playing in the second month. They weren't always getting the wins and the results that they wanted in that first month, but a lot of those underlying numbers were telling you, hey, the scoring chances are there. There's a lot of things to feel good about. And it just felt like the Rangers were a much better possession team. You saw them out shooting teams basically every game. And so even though the results weren't where you wanted them to be, you felt like if they kept doing that, the results would come around. What's happened since then is it's devolved to a situation where they haven't been as good of a possession team. They haven't been out shooting teams as much. Their expected goals and their scoring chances and all that have not been as encouraging if you look at a lot of of the sites that are out there. And so what's the difference between the two months? Well, the first month they had virtually the same lineup for the whole month. And that was Capo Caco playing up on the top line with Zabanajad and Kreider and Alexi Lafreniere playing on the second line with Artemi Panarin and Vincent Trocek. And notably to me, the confidence and the swagger that you saw Kako and Lafreniere playing with when they were in the top six versus what we've seen lately is a stark, stark difference. Because in the last month or so, and that's when the losing has really picked up, Gallant has basically been changing his lines almost every game. And those kids have generally been in the bottom six. And it really, from my conversations with them, seems to be affecting their confidence. They're not openly complaining or openly critical of the decisions, but it's just a sense that I get 
in these conversations. So I asked Glenn about that, and he admitted, yes, we were playing better in that first month than we've been playing in the month since. And it just felt like, to me, this is something that he's been thinking about and the coaching staff has been talking about behind the scenes as well. So all of this has been brewing in my mind, and I decided that yesterday was the day I wanted to dive in and write a column about all of this. And and the premise of the column was basically this. We see that the numbers and the stats were better when the kids were in the top six, specifically Kako and Lafreniere. We saw with our own eyes that the team was playing better then. We saw with our own eyes that it seemed to give the kids a jolt of confidence. And since they've made those changes, the team has been doing more losing. So the argument that the kids need to earn it or the the team is better off from a wins and losses perspective when they move those guys down in the lineup, it just doesn't hold water anymore. So for the present, I felt like the Rangers are better when those guys are further up in the lineup. And even more importantly, for the future, it's critical we're no longer in the, at the point where these guys are rookies or second-year players, a lot of them. They're now third and fourth, and in the case of Philip Hedel, this is his sixth season in the NHL. So it, it's time to take the training wheels off. And this really, really became prevalent in my mind. I mean, it's been on my mind for a while, but I, I'd say it was such a stark contrast to me, and we talked about this a little bit last week, I think, when the Devils came to town and you see Jack Hughes, and you see Nico Heischer, and you see Jesper Bratt, and you see these guys that are 21, 22, 24 years old for the Devils who have been playing in the top six and been playing on the top power play unit basically their whole careers. And the Devils stunk for quite a few years because of it. They threw that youth into the fire, and they struggled mightily for a while. Their defense in particular was atrocious last season. But now they're reaping the benefits of that. Those kids are playing with incredible confidence. They have learned how to play in this league by doing it, by being put in crucial situations, and that's how you're going to find out if they sink or swim. So to me, the Rangers, with the way that they're built and the big contracts that we've talked about so many times that they have on this roster, they're going to need young players to offset that and be productive at least role players, and you hope that at least a couple of them will pop and become legitimate top six guys, that sort of thing. They did it with their defensemen. They threw Adam Fox in there. They threw Ryan Lindgren in there. They threw Keandre Miller in there, and look at that how that worked out. So I, I just, it's been puzzling to me to see this ongoing reluctance to just let them go. They're going to make mistakes, but every time they make a mistake, it does not mean you need to yank them out of the lineup. In fact, I think that has a negative effect based on the feeling that I get from talking to these guys. So that's where a lot of that came from. And I really went in, I'd say, pretty pretty hard on that with the column that I wrote prior to the game on Monday. And again, I really get the sense that these are already thoughts that Gallant was having. I think he's been struggling to find a consensus or a surefire plan for his lineup, but he was aware of what those numbers showed when I brought it up to him. He knows that they were playing better earlier on in the season. And so I definitely think the wheels were turning. So now let's get back to Monday night. Rangers are playing like crap for the first two periods. They're losing. They're getting booed. What does Gallant decide to do? All of a sudden, on a shift toward the end of the second period, I notice Lafreniere and Kako are on the wings 
with Mika Zibanejad in the middle. And all of a sudden, I mean, pretty much from the first shift, I feel like I noticed it. All of a sudden, those guys are buzzing. They're generating scoring chances. They're getting a lot of offensive zone time. And you just felt like not just the young guys, but the entire team had more jump in their step at that point. Maybe it's wrong to credit that move with changing the entire game, but there's no question it made Lafreniere and Kako look like different players. And again, to me, this goes back to the recent conversations with I've had that I've had with them and Philip Hedel and Vitaly Kratsov and Zach Jones and, and a lot of different young guys. Confidence at that age is so critical. And maybe it shouldn't be that way. Maybe a demotion should fuel you. Maybe competition for spots should make you work harder and bring out the best in you. I know that that's what a coach like Gallant hopes for. It's a little bit of an old school mentality. I think players today respond differently than maybe players 20, 30 years ago when Gallant was playing. But the fact is what we're seeing with our own eyes. They get a boost from playing up in the lineup when they feel like they have to shoulder more responsibility. And importantly, when they feel like they're trusted, when they feel like if they make one mistake, it's not going to cost them ice time all the time. Now, if the mistakes pile up and they're hurting the team, that's one thing. But an occasional mistake here or there is to be expected with guys who are 21 and 22 in the ages that these guys are at. So I think it's critical for Gallant to continue to entrust them moving forward. And it paid him big dividends on Monday night. You look at what happened. Rangers are down by a goal going into the third period. Keandre Miller on a long shot from the point that was set up by Alexi Lafreniere, gets the puck through, the Rangers scored. I I did think that that was one thing that they did do a lot better on Monday night. Braden Schneider scored from long range, Adam Fox, Keandre Miller. The defensemen were doing really good jobs of finding shooting lanes and not hesitating, getting rid of the puck quickly. And you saw some tips. You saw some pucks get through clean. You saw the Rangers doing a good job of creating traffic around the net and and blocking the sight lines for Jordan Bingington, the St. Louis goalie. So that was one thing that you do have to give the Rangers credit for because they they didn't have a whole lot of those tic-tac-toe plays. They didn't have a whole lot of quote-unquote high danger chances that were coming from the slot or on odd man rushes, that sort of thing. But what they were getting was they were getting pucks through and they were making it difficult on the opponent to really see those pucks or play those pucks cleanly. So that for sure helped the Rangers. Keandre Miller gets the goal, his first goal of the season, by the way, that ties up the score. And then Lafreniere, who had only scored once in his previous 16 games, is the beneficiary of a long shot from Mika Zibanejad when he's able to get a stick on it and tip it and get it past Binghamton and put the Rangers on top for good five to four in the third period. So the Rangers got a huge jolt from that top line. Lafreniere gets two points in the third period. Kako didn't get a point. I mean, this dude is just, it's mind boggling how snake bitten he's been recently. He had a breakaway where he made such a pretty move on Binghamton, completely pulled the goalie out of the net, completely deked him out of the crease, has a wide open net, but the angle by the time he finished the move was tough. He was able to get the puck into the blue paint, but he hits the post. He can't finish the opportunity, and he had another post that he hit, I believe, 
on Monday night. He had a chance from the slot on a one-timer that looked like a sure goal. Binghamton made the save on that. It just feels like the guy can't buy a goal right now, but every game he's in position. Chris Kreider was joking about it after the game. He was like, man, that guy is working his butt off. He's playing great. He has to get rewarded. Kreider was joking and predicted that it wasn't going to be a pretty goal that finally got him off the schneid. It was going to be something that goes in off of his butt or something ugly like that. Kreider said, though, we're going to Vegas. I'm putting my money on Kako getting a goal. So that was his prediction for the game against the Golden Knights. But more importantly, the confidence, the confidence, the confidence, the way that those guys played when they got moved up in the lineup was huge for this team. And it takes, at least for now, a little bit of the heat off of Gerard Gallant. But I will say this. This is still a really important week for him to get results. I want to be I want to be careful about how I word this because I'm not reporting that a firing is or was imminent or anything like that. If I if I had that rock solid, I would have written a whole story about it, trust me. But I have talked to enough people in the last I would say week to 10 days that I feel fairly certain that the seat has gotten hot during this stretch of losing. I think I was asked this question on the podcast a few weeks ago. You know, what would it take for them to consider an in-season firing? And I basically said it would take a total collapse. And the losing streak that the Rangers were on was starting to border on collapse territory. So through this streak, prior to that game against the Blues, or really prior to the last period or so against the Blues, the team just has not been responding to this coach. He's been struggling to find the fixes whether it's urging the team to play with more effort, whether it's juggling the lineup constantly, but never seeming to find the right combination. And we talked about the accountability stuff at length last week, so I don't want to go too deep into it. But there's been a lot of this, well, our schedule's been really tough. Well, we're hitting a lot of posts, you know, we're getting really unlucky. Well, you know, the players really need to step it up, but the coaches, they're doing their job. Or even the one day where they blew the three-goal lead against Edmonton, and then the next day he was asked about it, and he was like, well, you know, Florida did the same thing, so don't forget, like, this happens to a lot of teams. That excuse-making, my understanding is that it has not sat well with some people in the organization. So I do believe that internally options have been discussed and that, yes, indeed, the seat has been getting hot. And I do think that Gallant needs to continue having a good week. The one win against the Blues gives them some breathing room for sure, but it can't be one and done. They're going on the road now against two very, very tough opponents in the Vegas Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche. The Rangers, in my opinion, need to be competitive in those games. Not necessarily win both games. Those are two of the better teams in the league. The Avalanche are the defending Stanley Cup champions. So I think to go in with the expectations that they need to win both games, that's overstating it. But they can't get blown out in both games. They can't look non-competitive in both games. They need to show that things are back to moving in the right direction to inspire confidence in this team and, yes, in this coach. If they have two duds, On this road trip, I'm telling you right now, my antenna is going to be up. So I'll leave it at that. I don't want to. I don't want to go too hard with speculation. Again, I have talked to. I made a lot of calls, a lot of texts 
talked to a lot of people in the last week to 10 days. I've heard from multiple people, I'll say, that do believe that things have been brewing. Again, not necessarily he's going to get fired if he loses that game or anything along those lines. I want to make sure I'm, I'm painting this the right way. But there's been frustration. Trust me, from the top down, there's been frustration. And all these factors that we've talked about, the losing, the team not responding, the lineup shuffling, the lack of accountability, all of that stuff has added up to a situation where it's a little dicey right now. So the win on Monday certainly helps. If you stack wins, then all of a sudden you have new life and, and the team, I think, will will happily move forward with Gallant. But they, they've got to continue to show progress. It can't be scattered. It can't be good period here, bad period there, the way that it has been so often this season. So that's what I'll say on that because I know a lot of people are wondering about that. And my, my final word would be, yes, the seat is hot, but I think what happens in the next, especially the next two games, is going to be really important to kind of figure out which way this team is going right now. All right. With that, I want to get to Johnny, and then after that interview, we will get to some of your Twitter questions, and then I have to race to the airport. So let's quickly get to this interview with Johnny. Now let's welcome in a guest who I have appeared on his podcast before, so now we're going to circle things around and have him on our podcast. That would be Johnny Lazarus. He writes for Bleacher Report. He's the co-host of the Blue Crew podcast. He's got he's got his hands in a lot of different cookie jars. So, Johnny, I guess let's start with that. Like, I mean, how many different things are you doing? This last year looks like you've just been all over the place. Honestly, I have the Rangers to thank. Well, well first of all, Vince, thank you for having me. I love the uh, the podcast Home and Home, as we call it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, you know, thankfully I've been doing the Ranger podcast for a little over a year now and, you know, just putting my stuff out there kind of got me noticed like on Twitter and on Instagram. And, you know, it led to a lot of cool opportunities doing, um, you know, content for Bleach Report with the BR Open Ice page. I was on the third period live show with the NHL last year for the conference final, which was awesome. Um, and now I write for Action Network and covers for the gambling side of stuff. So definitely, you know, like you said, dipping my foot in a lot of different pools or or whatever the uh, the phrase was. Yeah, yeah. But you know, cookie I, jars, I do have cookie jars. Cookie jars. That's what it was. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I tell everyone, like, you know, thank God the Rangers were good. Like, if I was doing this and they sucked, like, it wouldn't have mattered. You know. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I have I have the Rangers to thank and Igor. You know, he's getting me all these jobs. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of people last year were like, oh, we're seeing you on SNY all the time. I was like, well, that's because the Rangers are winning all the time. If they, yeah. if they weren't winning as much, you wouldn't see me on TV as much. So, yeah, exactly. For sure. I know the feeling. And then I, beyond that, though, I know two other things. I know you're a very passionate Rangers fan. And I also know that you you played hockey up up until college. You, did, you played some hockey for UMass. So you want to just give people a little background on that? Yeah. So I played my freshman and sophomore year at UMass Amherst and then transfer because I wanted more playing time. I was getting scratched like every game my sophomore year. So I transferred uh, to Mercyhurst. You couldn't beat out Kale McCarr? Uh, (laughs) No, I couldn't. I was actually, my claim to fame is that I was a mock PK in practice. So I was standing in front of all Kale shots. Okay. um, Okay. And a lot of them didn't hit me, which didn't get help my chances of getting the lineup because he was so good and he shot around me. Hmm. But uh, yeah, so, you know, I I never played um, with Zach Jones, but like we had that UMass crossover. Um, and then la- like last year was so exciting too, cause they had, you know, Jones, Vetrano, Braun, who are all UMass guys. So, um, 
yeah, I, I played in college and then uh, graduated in 2020 during COVID. So I say that COVID ruined my hockey career, but uh, I was going to hang him up anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see if we can get you an open tryout with the Rangers or something. <laughs> now, you're, you're Rangers, so you grew up a big time Rangers fan? Uh, full transparency. I grew up like, I think till like I was five or six as an Islander fan. I well, think. you grew up in Long Island, so that makes sense. Yeah. And my dad was in high school for all four years that they won the cup. So like, mm-hmm. not that he was the biggest Islanders fan, but, um, you know, I kind of just grew up like five minutes in the Islanders practice rank. Like I have a, you know, a stick in my, in my childhood bedroom or did have a stick in my childhood bedroom of like the Oh three Islanders, like all of them signing it, like Jason Blake, Yasha and all that. Um, but my cousin Jason was a huge Rangers fan. And I think I was like six years old, seven years old. And he like, just got me hooked. My aunt took me to, uh, ESPN zone and I'll, I'll never forget my first Ranger game. Went to ESPN zone and did like that little shooter tutor thing at ESPN zone, a little throwback in the city. And the Rangers actually played the Capitals. Yager was on the Capitals and Lindros had a goal. I think it was like a two, two tie uh, mm-hmm. during like the 2002 season. I just became a Ranger fan ever since that game. A two, two tie. What an introduction. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, all right. So as a Rangers fan, let's start, you know, cause I, I, you, you played the game, you write about the game. So, you know, we can dive into some, some deeper analysis at certain points if you want, but a- as a fan, your pulse on things right now, because they were really trending in the wrong direction for a few weeks there. I know you were in the building at MSG on Monday for that win over the blues. They saying they really needed that is understating it, mm. but your, your feelings about the team right now and, and your pulse on the fan base right now for a team that had high expectations and so far hasn't lived up to them. So I don't want to be one of those guys that brags, but I did expect like a regression year. Um, just because when you look at the lineup that we had last year going into the start of the season, it's essentially the same lineup, you know, pre-deadline when you got Cop, Petrano, Mott, um, Braun, you know, you add those guys and they really boosted that like five on five scoring where, you know, the lineup this year was similar to the lineup we started with last year where five on five was going to be the issue. So you know, I think that's been the biggest theme once again of this season is that the five on five plays, you know, not up to par that we thought it would be from last year. But I, I think the biggest difference, and it's kind of changed in the last couple of games right now, was just that added grit. Like last year, the team knew going in, there was that narrative like Tom Wilson broke the Rangers, right? So they wanted to show that they weren't going to get pushed around. They weren't going to get bullied. And they they showed up every night. Like anytime Igor Shosturkin got touched, like someone was, you know, getting their butt handed to him. I don't want, I know it's a family show, uh, <laughs> you know, but there was always someone that was defending Igor. And like this year, there hasn't really been much of that pushback. And I know like, it's a little cliche to talk about that dry side little thing with Truba, but you know, that's, that's a thing where last year, I think dry gets, you know, someone, someone says something to him last year, I think. And, and this year, you know, even, even last night in the first period, I thought they didn't have any energy. Like, you know, they scored those two goals late in the first, but, I thought the building and I thought the team was dead. Um, you know, I, I, I'm like, sure, they won 6-4, but I'm not sold that this problem has changed. Like, you know, I, I do like the moves that Gallant made in the third. Like, you know, I've been preaching for like a month to have Lafreniere, Mika, and Kako together just because, and we'll get into that, I'm sure, so I don't want to go too deep. But um, I think the biggest thing right now was, you know, last year, they always felt like something was going to happen in a positive way throughout the game. Like if they went down, like you'd always think they're going to come back. Whereas this year, everyone's on the edge of their seat thinking, when is this going to fall apart? You know, it's kind of the opposite vibe. Yeah. That, that last point I think really resonates. (laughs) Like I can just tell you from my perspective, 
for all these games while the game is going on, you know, I'm taking notes vigorously and I'm writing stories because as soon as the game is up, we want to have at least like an early edition of the story that I'm going to write to go up on the web. And there's been so many of these games. Now, last year, there were so many games where they're losing. I have a story written about them losing. And then Molly Walker and I would always look at each other and like the joke was crumple up a piece of paper and throw it over your shoulder because <laughs> like the story that you just wrote is now trash. It's never going to uh-huh. see the light of day. Um, actually, side note, funny. I had now I don't want to say it, like act like I'm reveling in the Rangers losing, but I was really happy <laughs> with the opening to my story last night. Had they lost like I had I, I had like played with it like i thought it you know it, it, it was not funny but i, I really liked the way that it, that it read and yeah then, share it well what no one's it? no 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 one could ever see that now because okay. because they lost because they end up coming back and winning so i had to yeah. trash that so last year it was constantly they're losing and then they come back and win and we're scrambling to write a story about them winning and now this year it's like okay they have a lot of leads and then they're constantly blowing it and then you're scrambling to to reverse that story so it's it's been it's been a thing. It has been a thing. That resiliency, that knack for coming through in the clutch, whatever you want to call it, it has not been there with this team for the most part. Now Monday, they go into the third period losing. I don't know if you were you one of the guys booing because there were, there were quite a few boos in MSG at the end of that second period. I'll, I'll never boo them, no matter what. You're, you're not one of those guys. No. Yeah, I'm, right. a po- I'm a positive outlook kind of guy, so I, w- I would never do that. It's uh, a one goal game going into the third period. What are you booing them for? But you, but you said it, Johnny. They, I thought they had no energy too. I thought they looked yeah. really bad. I thought the defense was was atrocious. Like, there's been games this season where a lot of games where I feel like the bigger issue is you touched on the five on five offense. They're just mm-hmm. not scoring enough. But I do think in a lot of games you could look say and say, okay, the defense held their own. Mm-hmm. Last night that was not the case at all. I thought the defense was really bad, and it's not just the defensemen. The, the Fox Lindgren pair had a rough night, but I thought the forwards just, they weren't back checking very hard. It just, mm-hmm. there, there was not a whole lot of uh, all around effort. And I think the high danger chances after two periods was 12 to two for the blues. And, and it looked that way. It looked like, yeah. it looked like the blues were all over them and the Rangers just weren't doing much. So you go into that third period and, but then all of a sudden it, it's almost like a glimpse of last year. Can we call it where they get those three unanswered goals and the, and they come back and win the game. And you touched on the lineup change. You know, that's obviously a huge topic of conversation today. I just think, and you tell me if you, if, if you felt like you saw the same, the, the, the boost of confidence that guys like Lafreniere and Kako get from moving up in the lineup. I mean, they looked like shells of themselves in a lot of recent games when they were playing in the bottom six, but all of a sudden you move them up and I I don't know if they're actually faster, but it just looks like they have more jump in their step. They had a lot of offensive zone time. They generated a lot of scoring chances. Kako could have scored like three times. <laughs> yeah. he, he feels like he's snake bitten right now, but Lafreniere gets two points in that third period. And maybe you could even speak to this from a former player perspective. Like, Moving up in the lineup and feeling like you have the trust of your teammates, the trust of your coach versus feeling like you're walking on eggshells and one mistake might cost you a spot like is, is that feels like a really tangible thing for these players. It is for sure. And I can't really, you know, I can't touch on it, you know, because I'm not like a first overall pick or anything. But, you yeah. know, I've been on teams. <laughs> I've been on teams where I was, you know, a top player and, and you know, I felt that I was stuck on a, you know, a third line role and it's hard to get in a rhythm especially when you're, you know, not getting much power play time as well. You don't PK also. So I thought Lafreniere, like definitely noticeable in the third period. I thought the first two periods, he was like, you could sense the frustration. He had one chance. I don't know if you remember this in the, in the first period, it was somewhat of a three on two, but he had the whole shooting lane and he tried to go across the roller road as, as Valley says, I think to the trailer who was uh Goudreau. 
It might have been Goodrow at the time. And, and the it went off his got, skate. Like, deflected. Yeah. And they came down the other way. And you could just sense the frustration on his face. And he just didn't look confident. Whereas, you know, a confident player is shooting that puck, not even thinking about it. Right. Like unless it's Panarin, who, you know, obviously is a pass first guy. But I thought I thought Kako had jumped in his step all night. Like if he scored that goal where he went around Bington and tucked it in, that would have been so sick. But um, he was buzzing the entire night. But Lafreniere, I, I think, you know, this is something I talked about with Arthur Staple on our show this week. It's a very difficult thing to process as a player when you've been told your whole life, for the most part, how good you are. And no matter what you're doing in your situation and you don't feel like you can move up the lineup, it's a very tough feeling of feeling stuck. And, you know, I, I kind of, you know, I don't, not to, I, I hate to use myself as an example, but, you know, the, the player's perspective, when I was at UMass, like I touched, like I touched on, I was getting scratched and I felt like no matter what I did, the guys in the lineup weren't going anywhere. You know, it's not like Kreider is going anywhere. It's not like Panarin's going anywhere. The guys that play left wing. So it's almost like, Hey, like, is it just not working for me here? Like, do I maybe have to explore other options, which is the real fear of mine now because Ryan Reeves asked for out two weeks ago when he wasn't getting the opportunity he felt. So Lafreniere's at, you know, the last year of his ELC, he's a free agent in the summer. If he's not, if he's not getting the opportunity he feels he deserves, why wouldn't he ask out, you know, like, um, yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it's at that point with him yet. And the Reeves situation mm-hmm. is totally different because that's a yeah, that's a guy who is, you know, sort of over the hill at that point. I don't want to. Mm-hmm. That's probably not the best way to put it. But you you, you know what I'm saying? He yeah. foot speed wasn't there was hard to justify giving him a regular spot in the lineup. And he did ask for a trade, but the feeling was mutual. The Rangers, I think, were more than happy to clear that cap space, mm-hmm. uh, which they're hoping will help them when we look ahead to the trade deadline. But they got to be in contention if the trade deadline is going to matter. Lafreniere is due for his next contract this summer, and that is going to be a really difficult negotiation because you've got a number one overall pick. You've got other guys in that draft who have gotten really nice contracts. Oh, but yeah. if the numbers aren't there to back it up, and especially with the Rangers being tight on salary cap space, it's going to, they're going to have to drive a hard bargain with him. And they also have Keandre Miller and Philip Heedle. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a really, really interesting offseason for those young guys. But I do think to your point that if they feel like they are not getting the opportunities to really flourish here, that will have a detriment. And we've seen other guys, whether it's Nils Lundqvist, whether it's Vitaly Kratzoff, you, you can go down the list. There's been a handful of prospects in this organization that felt like they didn't get the proper run, the proper opportunities, and it has deteriorated the relationship with the organization. So I, I do think to that point that that you're on to something. Lafreniere, because I get to talk to him a lot more this uh-huh. year than I have ever have in the past, he, I think more than anybody, is like really conscious of, of not complaining and saying all the right things. Now, maybe deep down, he feels different, but I do think that he's a kid who has the work ethic and who has thick enough skin to not take this stuff too personally. But, you know, my whole my whole pregame column yesterday was all about at some point you have to see if these guys are going to sink or swim. Yeah, they might not turn out to be the players that we want them to be or the fans want them to be. They might not live up to the expectations of their draft status, but you're only going to find out by putting them in key situations and seeing how they play. And I hate to keep bringing it back to the Devils, but the Devils have had a lot of success by doing that with their young players. And, and it's time for the Rangers to do the same. And I think you have to hope that what we saw at the end of the game on Monday is a step in the direction of now doing that. Can I add to that point too, real quick? Yep. yep. I, I think a lot of the things that I see also like from the fans and, and just like on Rangers Twitter is why would we reward Lafreniere and Kako on the first line if they're not producing? Yeah. And, you know, to your point that you just made, 
they're not going to produce unless they're given the opportunity. Like you have to put them in that situation to be able to produce and to feel confident enough to produce. They have to get, they have to get into a rhythm. Like so much of hockey is all about rhythm and just like feeling the puck. And, you know, if you get a scoring chance early in the game, you feel great the rest of the game. If you don't touch the puck in the first period, it's so hard to get into a groove and you don't feel confident for the rest of that game. Like, you know, you, it is all about reps and, and just like, you know, getting your feet wet is, is a common phrase in hockey. So like, I think a lot of the devils to you, to your point, you just said they're having success because three years ago, they were putting Jack Hughes in the first line and letting him learn from that experience where the Rangers haven't really been doing that. Like I actually, I found it interesting that he, that uh, Gallant had Lafreniere, Kako and Zibanejad out there, I think in the last like two minutes playing defense uh, last night. I thought that was a pretty good uh, yep, that's definitely step good in the right direction to, to close out the game. Yep. Um, well, they were their best, they were their best line in the third period. So you reward mm-hmm. them. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And, and actually, I, will, I will, I will, I would like to add to you what you were saying, you know, about the, the, the voices uh, from the fans that are uh-huh. complaining about rewarding these guys when they're not playing that well. I think there is some merit to that at certain points. But the, the, there's a few different counter arguments to that. My my main argument to the people are saying that would be who has earned it. This yeah. team has been <laughs> losing constantly in the last few weeks. There's nobody or very few guys, unless you're going to play like Adam Fox at right wing. <laughs> there's very few guys who have played well enough to say, you know what? That guy has earned a promotion in the lineup. So if nobody is earning it, and you've seen, based on what we saw in the first month of the season, when I thought they were playing a lot better than they have been in the second month of the season, that when Kako and Lafreniere were up, the Rangers overall looked like a better team. So if you're not winning with the other way of doing things, when you're demoting those guys and saying, oh, you got to earn it, well, you got to try something different. And again, from a big picture perspective, if you don't give these guys the opportunities, whether it's what you touched on, worrying about what that will do to the relationship between player and organization. And some people might not want to hear that, but, but that needs to be a concern, especially when you have the track record that the Rangers have of that. And just for the health of this team, you know, Panarin and Kreider and Zabanajad, you know, those are their guys. They're going to lean heavily on those guys, but they can't do it all alone. And for this team to take the next step, the kids need to take the next step. And that all goes into this conversation. They got to move up. The, the people who keep saying, you know, listen, a few years ago when they were rookies and second year players and they were having struggles, I think it was a little easier to justify, okay, they got to earn it. You know, let's not force feed them minutes when, when they're not quite ready for it. But these guys are in year three and four now. It, it's time. It, it, to me, it's, it, it's overdue, in my opinion. And they produced right away last night. Yeah, exactly. You know, like they, they proved their point. Like, right. Like, I, I think it'd be crazy if Gallant didn't start that or, you know, keep those lines together going into the Vegas game. Yeah, you know? no, I know. I think I think he will. I think he will. Uh, he, he, will he stick with them for the entire game or stick with them for multiple games? That is to be determined. I think he's shown that he's usually going to have a quick trigger with this kind of stuff. But I would be I would be stunned if they don't start the Vegas game on Wednesday that way. Let me ask you this, Johnny. We'll we'll wrap it up on this because this is obviously another big topic of conversation mm-hmm. with the fan base right now. Your feelings about and your confidence in Gerard Gallant right now? I love him. I mean, like uh, <laughs> he's in year two. Like, what what do you want him to do? Like, like I think for me, a lot of people, and you know, this is something we talked about, uh, you know, heavily on our show this week, is that this whole narrative of of Gallant not having X's and O's. Not every coach does. You know, and and you don't have to always rely on X's and O's to be successful. That's how your players become robots. And that's something that I think, you know, was successful last year. And, 
you know, some people say Gallant isn't holding players accountable, but guess what? In a good culture, in a good organization, the players hold themselves accountable. And that's what we're seeing from these guys. Like Jacob Truba tries to throw that big hit, drops the gloves, like throws the helmet. He's holding himself. He's holding his team accountable. How many times have you asked Chris Kreider about his game and he holds himself accountable saying he deserved to get benched? Like, you know, you're, you're talking to players one-on-one. They, they know when they're bad. Igor had that, you know, really self-pity quote last week. Like yeah. they're yeah. pro hockey players. Like they know what they need to do. And, you know, firing a coach and bringing in a new voice isn't just going to automatically fire them up. Like, I, I think it's great that, you know, Gallant always has their backs and makes them feel good. And, and you know, that doesn't work for every single coach, but would you rather have a guy that's like pointing fingers and, and you know, blaming players as opposed to just letting the players figure it out themselves? I think that's the best way to, you know, build a winning environment. And I think that's something that Truba really does well as a captain. I know people are questioning him as captain as well but he's the first guy that's going to step up and take matters into his own hands. And, and that's why he has the C on his chest. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, the true stuff. I, you mentioned the dry settle thing before uh, to me, that was, that was overblown yeah. and you, you've, you know, people are questioning his toughness and things like that. Like you've seen, you've seen what this guy has done in the last few games, as far as not just the fights, but, you know, looking for anything that he can do physically to spark the team. He's not playing well. I mean, no. I totally get that. I'm not yeah. going to sit here and, and tell you he's playing well. He's had a he's had a poor season up to this point. But as far as his desire, as far as his willingness to lead, as far as his willingness to be the one on the front lines, you know, throwing hits, throwing fists, whatever it takes to, to get the team going, that you can't question at this point. 100%. I, I mean, I still couldn't think of a better choice for captain right now. Yeah, I, yeah, you know, and and he's he's willing to put himself out there like like you know I know a lot of people talk about Kreider and Kreider I think is a very good leader in his own right, but I also think Kreider is a little bit more of a a reserved personality like he doesn't necessarily always want to be the guy who's standing up in front of the room at least that at least that's my impression I do think that he talks to guys a lot I think he especially pulls guys to the side one on one. We know he has that that relationship with Mika where they kind of give each other tough love but are really supportive of each other. I think he does that with a lot of the young players as well. So he's a vital leader in that locker room. But as far as a guy who's going to you know step in front of the cameras or step in front of the locker room or step up on the ice to try to deliver a big message, whether it's through a, a hit, a fight, a speech, whatever – Truba definitely seems to be that guy. And Truba also is the guy that I know that like, you know, he organizes team activities. He's the leader of the group chat, like things like that, that people probably don't see or aren't as aware of uh, from a public perspective. So to me, I think the guys in the team all feel that he's the right choice. I've actually had a few conversations with guys where I haven't even, you know, used the quotes or written about it, but just talking about that a little bit. So I think in the room, he definitely has the respect. I don't think that there's any kind of a locker room issue. I, I do. I will be honest. I do question the way that they've been responding to the coach recently. I do think that they appreciate that he will not allow criticism of them, that he won't, he won't call them out in the media for the most part. He's very conscious of that. I think because he's a former player, but there are also, I do believe, and I know that people in the organization feel this way as well. I talked about this in the first segment of the show. He is not very good about saying, Hey, it starts at the top. It's on me. The team needs to be better, and I need to figure out ways to fix it. He yeah. deflects that stuff a lot, and, and I think that, that that has not done him many favors in the last few weeks. I'll put it that way. 
a lot of moral victories. I liked our effort. That kind yes, of stuff. Yes, yeah, well, yeah. You know, like we lost by three goals to the Chicago Blackhawks, but I did think we did a lot of things well. <laughs> you know, like th- that yeah. that stuff comes across as tone deaf, not just to me. I mean, I've talked to people who feel the same way, so I, mm. know, I can't name all names, but but the situation it's precarious right now. That win helped him, but I, I said this in the first segment of the show as well. I think this road trip is really important. I don't think they need necessarily need to win both games, but they need to show fight. They need to be competitive in both of these games. They can't go out and get blown out in back-to-back games on the road or else I think that seat is going to be very hot. And then they come home and they got the Devils and the yep. Leafs. So it's yep. not like it's getting easier when they come home too. Yeah. These, these, you know, I, I, I said too, if they go uh, before yesterday's game, I said if they go one and four in this five-game segment, it's close. Yeah, yeah. But then yeah. again, like, you know, as someone who's been around the league for a long time, do you truly think that Barry Trotz might be the answer? Because, you know, I think a Barry Trotz type coach, you know, obviously faced a lot of criticism with the Islanders toward the end of his campaign there, but he did do a lot of good things for them. But then, you know, you hear about all the things with Barzal and then you think about a player like Panarin, does Trotz come in and kind of, you know, ruin Panarin's game a little bit, or does he have that approach like he had with Ovechkin and have Ovechkin kind of buy into the, you know, defensive system a little bit and get over the hump. So I like it, it's, it could go either way. Yeah. I, I, I hear you. I, I definitely hear you. And I don't know for sure if he's the answer, but I, I, I know this, I know that he has a proven track record. I would say a, a, probably a better track record than Gallant. Uh, and I do have some inclinations that there, there probably would be interest if it came to that. So that's about all I can say at this point. But yeah, I, I think he would, if it came to that, he would certainly be on, on the list of guys that they're, they're looking for. I don't think it would be to hand it over to an assistant coach or something no. like that if they were to make that move. Now, you know, I'm not saying they're going to make that move, but I think it's more of a topic of conversation now than, than certainly it has been at any other point. So uh, yeah. we'll see. But Johnny, got to go because I got this fight to catch in a little while and I got to wrap up the pod, but I really, really appreciate the time. This is fun and uh, hopefully we'll do it again down the line, whether it's me on your show or you back on ours. <laughs> Thank you, Vince. I'm sure we'll be in touch uh, quite a bit throughout the rest of the season, but appreciate it as always. Thank you. All right. Thanks to Johnny for taking the time to chat with us a bit today. I can't dilly-dally too much here because I have a car picking me up to take me to the airport in a little over an hour, and I still have to pack. So we are going to dive into these questions and hopefully do it in a relatively timely fashion. So we're going to get to this first one from Jake Zaretsky. I hope I'm saying that right, Jake. What can we expect from the rest of the forward lines to look like if Gallant decides to keep Lafreniere, Zabanajad, and Kako together. So yeah, Johnny was asking about that a little bit as well. I, I do think I would be surprised given the track record that we've seen from not just Gallant, but I feel like the vast majority of NHL coaches, if they win and have success with a certain group of lines, they usually keep them together. So I do think you will see that Lafreniere, Zabanajad, Kako line at least start the game in Vegas on Wednesday night. And we'll see how long it lasts. Obviously, if they're not playing well, we, we know this coach will not be shy about making changes. But if that is the way that you start, my thoughts on how you would complete the rest of the lineup is as followed. Now, a big key to this is Philip Heedle. 
He's out with a lower body injury right now. Will he be healthy enough to play in Vegas? I know he's taking the trip with the team, so that's a good sign. I know that they feel like he's relatively close, but it's it's going to be it's going to be touchy. So we'll see. If it sounds like he might come down to the wire, well, we should know more Wednesday morning when the Rangers skate in Vegas. Now, if he's in, I would continue at least for the time being with him on the second line with Panarin and Kratzoff. Now, that is a very young top six. That would have Lafreniere, Kako, Kratzoff, and Hedl all in the top six along with Panarin and Zabanajad. But I think that's the right way to go. I, we talked about this earlier in the show. The whole column that I wrote on Monday was all about it's time to take the training wheels off and give these kids a real opportunity and see what they do with it. So that sounds certainly to me like giving them a real opportunity. And I'm intrigued in particular about what would happen with Hedl and Panarin. I thought their first game together, there was a real spark. I thought that they really seemed to have some skills that meshed well together. I think Heedle's speed could open things up for Panarin. I do think in their second game together, it was not nearly as good looking. So I'm not convinced yet that this is a solution, but I do want to see what it looks like if given at least a handful of games together. I think it's really, really important that Gallant picks some lines and sticks with them for a little bit. I've talked about this before. I've talked with it, about it with guys in the locker room. I think for the players, some continuity, some extended time to build chemistry, a lot of the guys in the locker room, from what they've told me at least, would really appreciate that. I think this constant moving around has not been good for this team during the stretch. So I would really like to see him stick with some line combinations. It's actually funny because I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I feel like a huge criticism from fans during David Quinn's time here was that he constantly juggled the lines. And he did juggle the lines quite a bit. But the Rangers' most successful season with him, that 1920 season right before COVID hit, he actually did not change the lines very often at all that season, if you guys remember. Once he put... Kreider, Zibanejad, and Buchnevich together on the top line, and Panarin, Strom, and Jesper Foss together on the second line, he rolled those lines for a really, really long time. The Rangers had a very consistent lineup that season. People might not remember that, or people might actively try to deny that, but I actually, in my opinion, feel like I've seen even more lineup juggling from Gallant. That's, that's a complete side note, but I was having that conversation with somebody the other day, but point being... I think this team really could use some continuity. I think they would really appreciate getting a chance to build some chemistry with the same lines for at least a little while. And so to me, the panarin Heedle thing, if you're going to do it, stick with it. Give them a real chance to succeed. Gather enough of a sample size to make a true evaluation on it before you decide whether or not to move away from it. So I would say panarin Heedle crots off as my second line. The third line then... Kreider, you know, is going to be the left winger. Vincent Trocek, you know, is going to be the center. And I think with the skating ability of those two guys, you have the opportunity to build a line that has some speed, has some forecheck ability, could, could be pesky, could maybe create some turnovers, create some odd man rushes, be a good forechecking line. I think that would be my goal with that line. 
And then at the right wing spot, you really would have to make a decision, I believe, between either Jimmy VC, who would probably be the favorite, and I think has played well enough to earn a top nine spot. And, and defensively, you trust him a lot. So I would probably assume it'll be him. But I could make a case for Julian Gauthier if you really wanted that line to be all about speed. Because Kreider and Gauthier may be the two fastest skaters on the team. Trocek is a pretty strong skater himself. So from an identity perspective, I kind of like the idea of that. Although Kreider and Gauthier guys who, who crash the net really hard and bring speed on the wings, they might be a little redundant. So I, I could see the Rangers having some hesitancy there. And so that's why I would probably think it'll be VC. But Gauthier is a guy that I would maybe consider if, if you don't like the way it looks or whatever. But your third line, I think, w- would be built around Kreider and Trocek. And then your fourth line is probably going to be Sammy Blay, Barclay Gaudreau in the middle, and then either VC or Gauthier as the right winger on that line, depending who's on the third line. My guess w- is that Gallant would probably go with Gauthier there. So that is how I think I would build the lineup. And I do think that there's a real chance that that's how Gallant would go with the lineup as well, assuming that he sticks with that top line of Lafreniere, Mika, and Kako. So we'll see how it shakes out. But my advice, not that my advice means a whole lot, but my opinion would be take that model that we just kind of came up with here on the fly and stick with it for a little while. See if you can find something that really gels and give the players an opportunity to do that. All right. Let's get to our next question, which comes from Seth Brown, who asked, why is it that Gallant's best season with every team he has coached is his first season with the team? It's a fair point, Seth, because you look at his track record, every team he's been with seems to get a real boost in their first season with him. And I can just speak to what I observed with the Rangers last year, and that is that I think having a coach like Gallant was freeing to the players, especially coming from a guy like Quinn, who the biggest knock on him was that he micromanaged and he was too on top of guys and didn't give them enough room to breathe and feel like they could not only play freely, but even like around the practice rink or getting texts from him or whatever. I just think that there ultimately became this feeling that he was micromanaging. Gallant is the opposite of that. He does not really put a whole lot of effort into trying to build relationships with guys. He certainly does not put a lot of effort into policing the locker room. He lets his guys do that. His system is pretty much as straightforward as it gets. And I think that that can be freeing to guys, at least initially. And I think that players really appreciate, as we touched on with Johnny, the fact that this is the guy that will protect them from criticism in the media. He really does not like to call out individual players. He makes a concerted effort to shield them from questions that he perceives as critical of their performance. And I think that that is very much appreciated in the locker room as well. So his hands-off approach, I think initially, it just gives players this sense of confidence and the sense of ownership. Like, hey, we get to play the way that, that we want to within the system. Obviously, he wants us to forecheck and he wants us to work hard and, and play physical and, and that sort of thing. But we have the freedom and the flexibility to sort of do what we feel like are our strengths on the ice, 
for the most part. And they feel like when it comes to the locker room stuff and the leadership aspects of things, they also get to do that in the way that they see fit. So I think initially there is this weight off their shoulders, again, especially coming off of a time with a coach like Quinn, where they really enjoyed playing for him and things were kind of easygoing and free-flowing and enjoyable for the players. I think what I'm observing in year two is that that simple system that we talked about, maybe what's starting to be exposed a little bit now is you know how much innovation is there in that. When it comes to making adjustments, there seems to be this feeling that like a lot of stuff is being thrown against the wall with the lineup, but nothing is sticking. And it's almost like there's this lack of direction in that sense. And as far as in-game adjustments or as far as countering what the other team is doing, it's always more about, hey, you know, we got to do what makes us good, which, which again, initially, I think focusing on yourselves and playing the way that you want to play is really important. But when you're hitting a wall and you maybe need to make a strategic move that's going to free up something on the ice or counter what another team is doing effectively – you got to be able to make those adjustments. And I think what we've seen this year is the Rangers haven't been great at doing that for the most part. And so that has maybe led to some of these fluctuations that we've seen. That's led to some of the losing that we've seen. That's led to some of the frustration that we've seen. And so that would be my opinion on, on that. I, I, I do think that his lack of panic during these situations, that his lack of really being super critical of his players, that the way that he's tried to navigate this, I, I still think that a lot of the players do appreciate it. Like, I don't think he's he's necessarily lost the locker room or anything like that. And I think I said this last week, maybe in the long run, that will pay dividends. But I would just like to see a little bit more creativity from a strategic standpoint and a little bit more consistency from a lineup standpoint, because I don't think that there has been enough of that so far this season. And again, it just feels like stuff's being thrown against the wall and nothing is sticking. And I think trying to figure out a rhyme or a reason for a lot of this stuff has been perplexing at times. And especially with some of the young players and the way that they just get buried or make a mistake and all of a sudden they're dropped in the lineup. I think that has also been a knock that I would make on the way that he's coached so far this season as well. So we'll see. Again, big week for him coming up. And I, I think if he's going to be introspective and look inside and try to come up with some solutions, now's the time to show you can do it. All right, let's get to our final question, which comes from Timmy G, who wrote, I'm curious as to your thoughts on the team's prospect pool. Two seasons ago, Everyone made claims that the Rangers had one of the deepest, most talented prospect pools in the NHL. What happened? Is it a development issue or did people just overhype who they had in the system? Timmy, this is this is a good topic and I'm glad we're, we'll address this a little bit now. I almost wanted to dive into it, into what I wrote on Monday and to some degree I did, but th- this is probably a whole other ball of wax that, that we'll tackle at some point this season when things aren't so crazy and hectic around the team. But you look at the performance of a lot of the Rangers prospects this season, it's not as encouraging as it had been for several seasons before that. 
the guys on the team right now, whether it's Hedl, Kako, Lafreniere, the young guys that have been promoted over the years, a lot of them have been struggling and a lot of them have been having trouble really nailing down a spot in the lineup and they've been yanked in and yanked out and up and down. Zach Jones just got sent to the AHL. This is the second year in a row where the Rangers have began the season with a young defenseman who they were trying to give a starting spot to and it didn't work out. So is that the player? Is that the prospect? To some degree, absolutely yes. I don't think Jones did enough to really go out and win the job. But I also think, as we talked about with some of the young forwards, Jones never admitted this in my conversations with him, but I do feel and definitely got the sense that because he never knew which night he was going to be in the lineup and if he made one mistake on the ice, it always seemed to cost him a game after that, he just never really got enough of a ramp to build up and gain confidence. And I think that made him play tentative. And I think that that ultimately diminished his chances of having success at this level. I have legitimate questions about whether he will be a successful defenseman at the NHL level. I certainly have not seen enough to feel strongly that he will. But when you play a couple games here, then you get scratched for a couple. You play a couple games there, then you get scratched for a little. I mean, how can you really build confidence? How can you really gain an understanding of what it's going to take to succeed at the NHL level if you're just constantly being yanked around? I do not think that they did him any favors. And I think that that's a microcosm for the way that a lot of things have gone with this team and their prospects in recent years. Vitaly Kratsov went through similar things this season where he was a healthy scratch for a number of games without really much of an explanation as to why. So I do think for sure there has been some mismanagement. And then as far as the prospects who haven't reached the NHL level yet, well, listen, I know the Rangers had this objective of building up their team in Hartford and making Hartford a real feeding ground for the NHL roster. And Hartford has had reasonable success in the last few years. They've been a winning team for, I think, at least the last two previous seasons. It might have even been three in a row. But this year, they are struggling mightily. I looked a few days ago. I don't know if they played another game since then, but I, I was, out of my own curiosity, looking at some of their some of their results and some of their stats from this season so far. Last I had looked, they had played 18 games and they had only won five of them. They're in last place in their division and a lot of the prospects who you were hoping might go there and play really well and become potential NHL call-ups later in the season are not doing very well. Whether it's Will Cooley, whether it's Bobby Trevino, whether it's Matthew Robertson, whether it's Ryder Korzak, who has now been sent back to WHL because he was just not getting enough playing time with Hartford, whether it's Carl Henriksen, who finally came over from the SHL this season and has kind of been very stagnant in his development since the Rangers took him in the second round three years ago, I want to say. I think it was 2019. So you're not getting a lot of production out of those guys. I don't think any of them have more than eight points right now through those 18 games played. So it hasn't been great. It really hasn't been great. I think the leading scorers for Hartford have been Andy Walensky, who's like a journeyman, veteran, defenseman, certainly not a lot of NHL upside there, and Tim Gettinger, who 
is not a bad depth guy to have in your organization, but certainly doesn't profile as a long-term NHLer or anything above a fourth liner. So the Hartford situation is not good right now. The Rangers do have guys floating around at the junior level, you know, particularly Brennan Othman. He is by far and away the top prospect in the organization right now. He was traded from Flint to Petersburg. So he, since that trade, has been productive as far as I can tell. His numbers are way up. One of the leading scorers in the OHL. I've told you guys this before. I absolutely believe he's going to have a legitimate shot to earn an NHL spot next season. But we've seen guys be highly productive in the junior leagues and then not do it at the NHL level. So there's certainly a lot to prove there as well. Othman's at the top of that list, but are there any other high-end guys in this system right now? I'm not so sure. It's a legitimate question. And that's why, number one, I think there are legitimate questions about the Rangers and their development of these prospects because these guys got to start showing up at the NHL level and becoming key players for you at some point or another with all of the prospects that you stockpiled throughout the course of that rebuild. You've hit on some of the defensemen with Fox, Miller, and Lindgren for sure, so kudos on that. You have certainly hit on the goalie with Igor Shosturkin, so you know big thumbs up on that. But the forward group, that to me is the most concerning. And even now, this next wave of defensemen, whether it was Lundqvist or Jones or Robertson, those guys haven't panned out yet either. So there, there are some legitimate questions swirling, and I'm definitely going to try to keep an eye on how the development process goes and whether Hartford starts looking a little bit better in the coming months. But on top of that, I also think that you need to consider if the Rangers don't start playing better in the next couple months, it might not be the wisest move to just start trading your draft picks again. They have two potential first-round picks. One of them could be either this year or next year, but potentially two first-round picks in this upcoming draft, which by all accounts is going to be a very good draft. I think you're going to want to use at least one of them, and there's no sense in selling off the second one unless you really feel that there's a trade out there that helps put you over the top. But the team has to start playing better for you to have enough confidence to do that. And if they don't give you confidence to do that, then using those draft picks and using them wisely, making the right picks, because there are situations that you can certainly point to in the not-so-distant past where the Rangers did not make the right picks. They've had some, they've hit on some for sure, but they've also missed on some. Then you might need to make those draft picks because you might need to restock this prospect pool. Because right now the prospect pool was for years considered one of the better ones in the NHL. And now it's certainly from my impressions and from my conversations with people considered more middle of the pack, if not fading toward the back of the pack. So you're definitely going to want to replenish. But the question is going to be if they are back in the Eastern Conference playoff mix and they Igor is playing better and the rest of the team is playing better and you feel like, okay, we got another playoff run in us. Okay, then I think you can justify trading a first-round pick or whatever it may be to go out and get a guy who helps you. But that decision is no longer looking like a no-brainer because A, the team isn't playing well, and B, your prospect pool is not panning out right now the way that you would like it to and frankly need it to. So that's my final thought on that. With that, I'm going to end this episode because, again, I have a suitcase sitting over here that really needs to get packed. I got to look at the weather. 
I'm hoping Vegas will be warm. I'm expecting Denver to be cold. We'll find out soon. Let me check my app. I will definitely check in with you guys from the trip. I appreciate all of you for listening. I appreciate Johnny for coming on the show this week. We're going to see. It's going to be an interesting week. Very couple really tough tests for the Rangers and then even more tough tests for them when they get back from this road trip. So many more interesting times ahead. I'll be back with another episode next week. But until then, take care, be well, and I will talk to you soon.